morning, church. I haven't seen you guys since last year. Um, <laughs> it's been a great year so far. I've got a bunch of these, but I'll stop. Mm. 2024 is upon us. We made it through another year. Everybody here, at least, I mean, I know there wasn't great. Uh, I don't know if anyone is on social media. Anyone here use social media at all? <laughs> yeah, a little bit here and there. Um, there's a trend that I've noticed, um, and it's at the end of every year. I don't remember this when I was younger, before social media and a lot of this. At the end of every year now, I see this trend where everyone's like, good riddance to 2023. Here's to a better 2024. And people cite all the terrible things that happened. I've seen this since like even a little bit before COVID. Obviously, COVID was, 2020 was a rough year in many regards. But I've noticed this constant trend, and I wonder if there's this idea about if you go back and look at all the stuff that's that happened in a year, and you see nothing but negative and ignore all the good stuff, it seems like a pretty big bummer. Regardless of that, I, I clearly want to wish everybody a wonderful upcoming new year. There's a lot to look forward to. If you're uh, hearing my words today, that's grace in and of itself. Do something amazing with the time that you've got. Invest in family and friends. Read your Bible. But it is great to see everybody. It's great to, to, to be back at it yet again. We'll be in a, the, the tail end of Ephesians 5, and if you're curious about the title of the sermon, Alcohol and Husbands and Wives, Oh My. That's a throwback to a, a, little, a, a little head nod to Wizard of Oz. Anyway, there, uh, Ephesians 5 is not necessarily a, a difficult ch chapter until you're trying to figure out how to break it up for sermons, for me. The first part that we talked about last week was great. It all came together. Then there's this little bit in the middle about not getting drunk, and then he pivots to talk about wives and husbands. And the don't get drunk doesn't really f fall, I don't think, as well with the prior part as it does with this one. And I'm going to, so we're going to connect it together. And uh, I've always heard that talked about, and I've heard the husbands and wife talked about. Today we're going to talk about both of them, and I hope by the end of this sermon you'll be able to see how something like alcohol being taken too far may even be applied to the way we can approach our marriages. That said, let's read together. We'll be in Ephesians 5. If you've got your Bible, great. If not, it's on screen. You can read it here. That's where I'm going to read it from. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, whenever we talk about these things that are very personal, oftentimes not discussed in our world, 
Um, specifically, when we talk about vices like drinking and the state of people's marriages, Lord, this can be very tricky business, Lord. And I pray that those who hear my words today, hear them as um, accurately presenting what is in your Bible and that alone, Lord. I have no wisdom to bring to this table at all with regards to a way to approach any of these sorts of things. I might have good ideas, but this is not the time nor the place for that, Lord. So I pray that your word will be the profound mystery that we need it to be and will cause us to go back to your word, draw close to you as we try to take care of things like better behavior if it comes to things like substance abuse or thereabouts and how we want to invest in our marriages, Lord. I'm thankful for your word that is so instructive, so encouraging and desires to see unification, not separation in, in just about every regard. So in your sons of my pray, amen. All right. So we do open again with practical advice. I talked about this last week. I like these chapters where it's not a, a, a lot of esoteric theological ideas, uh, comparisons or things like that. Paul's just talking about lifestyles and choices. I will say that the section that we're going to talk about today is often mangled to fit certain narratives. If you've ever heard anybody preach about things like marriage and the way Bibles talk about it, the Bible talks about it, or other Bibles, translations, etc., depending on which, which, which way you want to pivot with things like drinking or how you need to pivot on marriage, you can make these things kind of say whatever you want. That's not my goal. I want to talk about what the Bible says in context in the manner in which we see it explained here. And Paul gives us a great hint at the end, and that is that this is about Christ and the church. If you ever wonder about marriage, and you're like, I'm confused about this, I don't know how to connect to think about Christ's relationship with the church, his bride. It's designed to emulate that. We'll see two checks, sections of advice here, one on uh, drinking and the other on marriage, but they may seem unrelated, but I'm convinced they are connected. I'm going to try to convince you of the same. So let's dive in. First, do not get drunk. Anybody ever heard that before? <laughs> Hopefully no one's eyes like, what? This is news to me. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I was under the impression church was for this. If you grew up in a Baptist church, uh, you, you weren't even like able to shop at stores. I did not grow up in a Baptist church, but apparently we weren't even able to shop at stores that sold alcohol. The reason that we, we, we talk about, the reason that Paul's talking about it is the second bullet. Drunkenness compromises the ability to think, and that's not ideal. We just spent last week, and he's talking about being intentional. Be thoughtful. Consider things. Be disciplined. Understand what's going on. Reason. Uh, you know, you, you need to make educated decisions. Life is going to call for that. To be a, a, the best witness and the, the best Christian you can be, you need to be thoughtful about the actions you take. Drunkenness compromises that. And Paul's advice is instead of being filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. The right state of mind, where we're filled with the Spirit, we're focusing on that sort of you know, imbibing is going to allow us to speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we come here and we sing the, the songs that we sing at church, it's not just to have something to do. It's because we want to lift up the goodness of God to Him in worship, for Him, for His glory. <coughs> it's hard to remember the words. It's hard to remember the Bible. It's hard to remember the good things and the things that, that God perhaps has done for you um, or around you or for the people that you care for. If you are, are, are in a constant stupor because you have, have, have drank too much alcohol. And why do we care? Uh, because of thankfulness. This is the second time. We talked about this in our last one, our, our last sermon last week in our small group today. He mentions it here again by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. 
Last week, he talked about one of the primary tenets we want to replace uh, foolishness and filthiness and unclean talk. We want to replace it with thankfulness. But there's a, there's a theme here. If you're getting drunk to suppress your life, thankfulness is a better thing to focus on. I'm not saying everyone's got it great, and I'm not saying that people don't have a reason to drink. I'm not going to ever say that. I don't know where everyone's been. I don't know what's going on in their life. But what Paul's getting to is Paul's been through some stuff as well. Paul's been in prison. He's been beaten. He's been castigated. His life's been upside down. Turned a couple, there's been a few times, I'm sure, where he's sitting in a cell thinking, it would be pretty good to get a bottle, empty it, and sleep for two days and forget everything for a little bit. Just not feel the broken bone. Not feel the thorn in my side. Just for a minute. Something to numb the pain. But what Paul's constantly coming back to here is thankful always and for everything to God in Christ's name. Yes, things are bad. Yes, there's things that are hard to cope with, things that are tough, things that are tricky. But there's also something immensely good, and that is Christ and the work that he has done. And for that, we should be able to be thankful even when our entire world is imploding around us. The, 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 the choice here is not, uh, is not, well, can I have a sip? I, no, the choice is do I drink till I can't think anymore, thus I don't have to feel anymore? If anyone has ever drank until they have been drunk, you can relate to that. There is a, 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 a numbing effect that comes with an, a, a, the abuse of something like alcohol or any substance for that matter. If that's what you're doing to forget the tough times, better off thinking about the good times. Remembering what Christ has done. Remembering that in eternity this is not going to matter. All this will eventually go away. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. That's why we're here today. If this is something you hear once and, and check it off, so be it. But this knowledge allows for submission to one another. This is exactly what he mentions here. Submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, knowing that God is in control. Maybe it's not how we want it. Maybe our life's pretty tough. But, but, but here inside these walls, inside this church body, we are for one another because God is for us. Now, what didn't Paul say? Paul does not condemn drinking alcohol. He does not say, and do not drink wine, for that is the pottery. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Overindulging is a problem, but that's not just for alcohol. We have a lot more stuff today that can affect our brains besides alcohol. Back in these days, uh, outside of maybe some mushrooms or whatever, it was largely alcohol. That's what you're going to get to have the job done today. We got medicines that doctors can prescribe for you to take all this away. Those two would need to be practiced in moderation. What Paul's basically getting at here is moderate what you're doing so that you remain sharp enough to be an effective minister at all times. At all times. Now, likewise, Paul does not require drinking alcohol. This may seem like, well, of course not. That seems kind of absurd. At one point, he does command Timothy to drink a little wine to help with your stomach. Why? Not like you better drink wine or else, but it's I know you're probably struggling with this. It's okay if you have a little bit of wine, but still don't overdo it, right? You got to be careful with that, but it can be some benefits to drinking alcohol. Those that choose not to drink alcohol, that's fine. There's no requirement to do so, no should there ever be pressure to do so. These might seem like silly bullets, but I've heard both of these defended and argued in churches before. Paul doesn't condemn it, but he doesn't require it. What he's condemning here is drinking too much of it to where it affects your ability to think. Now, to the married, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. A quick aside, as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm thinking to myself, 
These are hard things to talk about. I grew, I grew up in a world, my mother was a very strong woman, kind of a late 60s, early 70s feminist. She was a math teacher, grew up at a time when that was, and so some of these things where men are telling women what to do is a real struggle for me because I grew up in a house where that just wasn't going to be happening, right? So just for the record, I'm not telling you what to do. God is. <laughs> so if you don't like it, you can blank, take it up with God. But I think as we go through this together, idea that what you're going to realize is this isn't some sort of condemnation. This isn't a, a shackling. Uh, it's not designed to put anybody into a terrible position. It's rather designed to have people understand why we even bother with something like marriage and how to make, make it be the best that it could be. Now, these last four words oftentimes get replaced with an exclamation point by some people. That as to the Lord is very interesting. Wives, submit to your husbands, exclamation point. End of story, just do it. Wrong. In an effort to combat that kind of an idea, there's this whole sentence, we just take it all out and get rid of it all together. We change it to something else that feels a lot more touchy-feely and not like a, a, a heavy hand or an order, uh, some sort of a command or a, a, a slave situation. This is not a call of servitude to slavery against one's will. The word submission is very, very critical. It is, a, it, it is a much different word than wives you are beholden to your husbands. You are, are to obey your husbands. These would be words that have nothing to do with submission, outside of submission to God. What we see here is submit to your husbands. Submission implies a lack of force. If you are being forced to do something, then you're not really submitting anything. You're just doing it at the threat of violence. Nobody has ever been arrested and then said, well, I submitted to the authorities. <laughs> if I said I submitted to the police after I committed a crime, you would assume that I probably went to the police station and turned myself in. Not that they came to my house and I had a shootout and they kicked the door in and pushed me down to the ground and, and handcuffed me behind my back and carried me out of the house. You'd say, well, you didn't submit. You were arrested. No, no, I submitted to them just the second before they arrested me. That's not what this is. Submitting to the Lord or to our spouse is voluntary. And we're able to do this, and we want to do this thanks to a changed heart. Now, it, it may, may seem mysterious, but it oughtn't be, that if you can't submit to the Lord, this notion to submit to your husband is going to seem very strange. And if you can't submit to one another, this notion to submit to the Lord or to your husband is also going to seem very strange. If you, if you recall what we just read, Paul tells us to submit to one another in verse 520, in 521. This precedes the call to wives. Giving thanks, oh, this is in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is an order kind of to the body at large. Hey, church, submit to one another. Willfully put their needs in front of yours. Listen to one another. When someone has a suggestion, listen to it. If they want to do it, submit to that. Now, it doesn't mean you blindly go along with it, but if they feel strongly about it, then you, but if you're submitting to one another, then there really isn't somebody in charge necessarily. It's more of a working together, being peaceable, knowing that you are all in this together. Paul is, what Paul is doing here is reinforcing the importance of this in marriage. In marriage, submission is very, very important. If wives don't submit to their husbands and husbands don't submit to Christ or to their wives, we've got a real problem. You've got a stalemate. You've got somebody that's going to have to get combative. Someone's going to have to win an argument. Someone's going to have to capitulate. I guess I'll compromise. 
I guess I'll do something I don't want to do because you said it and I have to submit. Submission is I do want to do it because what I think is good, since I can't defend it well enough, we're going to go along with this because that's something that I'm going to do as the Bible commanded. The trick here is unlike a church, marriage is only two people. So the relationship is more critical. The reason it's called out and not just treated as the body, as the body at large is because marriage is slightly different in that regard. There's not going to be 30 parishioners in the marriage. You're not going to have a pastor in the marriage, overseers, deacons. It's just the two of you. If there's anything I want you to remember, it's this. It's all about Christ. None of this has anything to do with making a better marriage for our benefit or our glory. Now, that's really important in the, in the Christian life. Because if our marriage becomes something that's glorious in and of itself, then we may get to thinking, hey, we've got this marriage thing figured out. Look at us as an example of being married. That's a poor idea. If you want to see an example of being married, look at Christ and his church. That's what Paul's calling to here. That's what we call to. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. <coughs> Here's another one that gets cut off. I'm the head of this household. Submit to me. No. You will submit to me as you submit to the Lord. And I'm going to be the head of you as Christ is the head of his church. As the church submits to Christ, wives are to do the same. This means trusting that your husband in Christ will do his best. It really means that trusting that Christ will lead your husband and your marriage. Now, this is a tough one. This isn't easy stuff to hear, especially if you're a wife that's sitting there thinking, I don't even know if my husband knows Christ. Well, let's get that sorted out. It's hard to do inside a marriage. I get it. I completely understand how tough that can be. But the point of this exercise is, is inside the marriage, the order that God has put in place is there to benefit us. As wives submit to their husbands as if they were submitting to Christ, this, this, this puts the responsibility for the husband to lead in the proper place. It's really hard to lead somebody that doesn't want to be led. Has anyone ever tried to do that? Has anyone ever tried to lead a group of people that don't care, don't want to listen to you, they just want to argue and debate all the time? And you just throw your hands up after us. Forget it. Forget it. Just do whatever you guys want. I'm tired. I'm trying my best to lead, but nobody wants to follow. In order to lead effectively, you need people willing to follow. And in this case, if the husband's following Christ and the wife's following the husband, then we've got a good order of things. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean the husband's not going to goof up. Not every husband's perfect like me. Ask my wife. Don't ask my wife. But we will make mistakes. We'll screw up. We'll say things wrong. We'll make bad decisions. We'll have to recant. We'll have to apologize. We'll have to repent. We'll have to beg for forgiveness. But, but, but submission doesn't mean submitting endlessly and saying everything he does is right. It's saying, I'm going to follow his leadership because God is leading him and I'm going to follow. And as I follow him, I follow God. This is the way the Bible's put it together. It's going to make our marriage work. Now, where are you going, fellas? At this point, typically, ladies are rolling their eyes. Oh, here we go. Men are smiling, finally. See, he told you, you got to be submitting to me. You heard him. No, no, no. Paul's not done yet, and the context matters so much. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Amen. For a long time, I would be one of these most husbands none, thinking they would readily die for their wives. Someone comes in here, someone's getting shot. I'm going to shoot your wife. Oh, no, you're not. I'll stand and take the bullet. 
I will die for my wife as Christ died for the church. <laughs> um, dying for your wife is easy. Living for your wife is hard. Christ didn't just die. Christ did die. Oh, I guess it's not changing. Let's try that again there. Christ didn't just die for the church. He lives for the church. Why? That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That gives me chills. Christ could have died and stayed dead. I don't know, right? But God had different plans, right? Christ overcame death after three days. And after three days of overcoming death, he now is alive at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his church until we are called home. Taking a bullet requires very little effort, but sanctifying your wife through sacrifice is work. It is work. And what's the goal? Why are we called to do this, husbands? So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's why Christ is doing what he's doing. In that same way, we are called to, our, called to love our wives as ourselves. We should work hard to sanctify our wives in our marriage. This isn't just being a stalwart defender and taking bullets, dealing with all the hard stuff. This is about just as Christ is improving his church. He doesn't just sit inert and let the church come to him. He's investing in the church. He's taught us. He's brought the word to us, the truth, the good news. Our hearts and ch our changes are reborn. We're new creations. I don't believe we are called to recreate our wives and our image. That's not what I'm getting to here. But we are called to help our wives in their journey towards Christ. That's a huge responsibility. It's not enough to just stand at the door with a rifle. You take care of your relationship with Jesus. I'll make sure no one kills you. No, that's easy. That's easy. It's hard to sit down and go through the tough conversations and, and, and help as best we can with the power of God's word and Christ and to lead our wives through sanctification, to make them holier as we do the job that Christ has set out for us to do in our marriage. Fundamentally, love your wife. Love her as Christ loved the church. Love her as you love yourself. It's serious stuff, and it's so deep it's hard to fathom. Loving somebody as you love yourself, and, and then at the other side of our mouth we talk about, but hey, we, you know, we don't love ourselves. We love Christ. And like, but but the, at, the, at the end of the day, we all know that we do a lot to protect ourselves. We want to make sure that we're the best we can be. We, we go to the doctor, and we go, we go to the gym, and we, we work, work on our employment, and we go to the school, and... To, to, to make sure that we're doing all that we can do to provide for us and ourselves and all these things come together. And when we see our wives as us, the, the one flesh, the mystery, it can get to be, it's just so difficult. We should nourish and cherish our wives just as Christ does the church. Once again, though, this is possible and expected because we are members of his body. There is no hope for any of this to have any lasting efficacy at all without Christ. This isn't a show. This isn't husbands acting like they love their wives and wives acting like they respect their husbands. This is a serious call to do this. And if you scratch your head thinking, I don't know that I can ever do that. Well, I'm, I'm sure everybody that has ever tried to, 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 to have their marriage become more Christ-like has said the same thing. 
And Paul wraps this up with a, a mystery and an explanation. He quotes Genesis, where the beginning of marriage is found. This is where it all kind of starts, way back. The mystery of two becoming one flesh is profound, but it refers to Christ and the church. And what Paul's telling us is marriage was always an example or a type of Christ's relationship to us. This is the reason that it exists. It's not just to make us happy. And then he gives us a brief summary before he closes. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. Husbands, love your wives enough to give everything for her holiness. And let the wife see she respects her husband. Wives, respect your husbands enough to submit to their efforts. Few people would argue that that's not a solid strategy. If the husband's doing everything he can to make his wife more holy, it's probably going to be a lot easier for her to submit to his efforts to do so. All right. Ooh, look at all that alliteration. <laughs> Pertinent points, potent potables plus partnerships. Potent potables is nerd speak for uh, alcoholic beverages. All right. So let's break it down. Spirit-filled, spirit-filled lives come with moderation. Spirit-filled wives respect and submit to their husbands. Spirit-filled husbands love and sacrifice for their wives. And spirit-filled marriages reflect the saving grace and power of Christ. Let's go through these together. To reiterate, don't get drunk. <laughs> and if that were the only thing we could overdo, it would be simple, right? Great. I'll just teetotal it. Boom. Now I can do whatever I like, but I'm crossing that off, right? We must moderate all things in this world. Name something in the world that we have to do. I'm telling you to moderate it. Work, entertainment, drink, food, sleep, everything. If all you do is sleep, that's trouble. Work, 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 trouble. The church has done, uh, I don't know. Let's give the church a little bit of credit for really tackling alcohol. <laughs> alcohol bad, got it. Worka, workaholics, which I know is a terrible term, right? But people addicted to work, eh, whatever. What are you going to do? That's a good, good thing out there, guys. Get out there, bootstrap it, get it done. 12 hours a, a day at there, never sees his family, that's good. But he ain't drinking. That's great. I'm telling you, anything like that that becomes all-consuming is idolatry and foolish. And if you're married, it's more than you that's at risk. You're putting, if you're a husband doing this, you're putting your wife at risk and your kids at risk because they need you to lead. Wives, if you have the same situation where you're working 12, 14, 16 hours a day, it's very difficult to submit when you're not around. Your husband's going to feel isolated and alone. He's not going to feel that he's in any kind of capacity to lead his family at all. He'll probably end up giving up as well. It makes it really tough if anything becomes all-consuming. So moderate. When we moderate things like drinking, just as Paul says, it gives, let's spend time in the Spirit instead. Don't work all the time. Spend time in the Spirit instead. We're going to go out and have a, you know, I, I want to get 15 hours of sleep every day. Okay, well, if you can pull it off, great, but probably not going to be the best use of your time. And you're going to end up sacrificing things for these other items. And at the end of the day, that's very tough, so moderate. Now, on we go. Spirit-filled wives respect and submit to their husbands. Want to reiterate, this isn't meant to chastise. This is instruction and encouragement. Your husband may not be perfect or even close, but Christ is. And this is really, really key. When you respect and submit to your husband, you respect and submit to Christ. That's how this boils down. If you are in rebellion against your husband because you just don't want to do this, 
what's the point of this? How can you possibly be able to say, yeah, yeah, I believe what the Bible says about marriage, except that the Bible didn't know my husband. You know, Christ didn't see this guy coming. He's such a bonehead. You know, which way is that? If I grew up in a world where dads on sitcoms were, were doofuses, I love the Simpson, but Homer Simpson's very, he's very lovable, but he's not a very good biblical husband. He loves his wife, I guess. We could debate that. He kind of cares for the kid, but he's aloof and a goofball. And, and they kind of just make it through life, uh, you know, an episode at a time, no pun intended. That's not the kind of marriage that we're called to, to cultivate as Christians. Likewise, spirit-filled husbands love and sacrifice for their wives. This isn't meant to be simple. It's not as easy as just, you know, being the, 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 the defender, getting a big armory and some body armor and saying, no one's going to hurt my family unless they come through me first. This, too, is instruction and encouragement. Your wife may not be perfect or even close, but Christ is. When you love and sacrifice for your wife, you love and sacrifice for Christ. If it sounds similar to the call to wives, it's very similar. It's not about me, and it's not about my wife. It's about Christ. Spirit-filled marriages reflect the saving grace and power of Christ. Marriage is mysterious in the manner it operates. There's no doubt about it. I know there's no doubt about it because Paul just said it, and that's in the Bible. So if you try to figure out how two become one flesh, even though we're kind of two people and one of us could die, and how does that? It's a mystery. But the, the mindset here is that it is one. We are one. We operate as one. I think of us as one, especially as a husband, that call to protect and, and instill and instruct and sacrifice for my wife as I would do for myself shows that this is how it's meant to be a reflection of Christ in the church. This means that it's more than our feelings or desires, but a change of heart. Has anybody ever heard somebody like in middle school or something say, I am, I'm in love. I love them. I see some smiles because we all say, oh, sure you do. See how you feel in 30 years, right? My daughter's 18. She's a grown, grown up now, by the way. She's an adult. And uh, I've never said anything like that to her, but I think it, right? Well, I, you know, I know you love, but, you know, love is, that's a weird word. And she knows, oh, yeah, 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 my perspective is what it is, right? But as we grow in our perspectives, we understand what Christ's love was, how he loved his church. It should help us understand the breadth and depth of what we are called to do as husbands for wives. It's not just a, this, a, a chemical reaction. That's something. I'm not going to denig- We've all been there, right? Where someone just like love at first sight, right? Like there's feelings, chemistry in my body. I can't turn this off. But that's not what cultivates a marriage for a lifetime. If you want to be married forever, it requires Christ to be in the midst forever. Elsewise, you're going to ebb and flow and, and wander through lives. I speak to someone with experience. I've been married for a, a while now. And it's not a, 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 a slip and slide of, of pure bliss. We've had ups and downs and times where we're not seeing eye to eye and coming back together. But I'd like to, to think that at the end of the day, I'm going to stand to post and do my best and try to, to do even better as time goes on to cultivate my role as a husband. And I can encourage James to do the same, and it strengthens our marriage because what we're really doing is emulating Christ and his church, not just about the way we feel about one another. All right, anything else to consider? I told you I'd connect the drunk stuff with marriage. I told you I would. Here it comes. 
A marriage that is neck deep in worldly appearance is not useful. I wrote this sentence like 15 times. I landed on this one. It sounds pretty harsh, and I don't care. <laughs> if you are neck deep, if all you care about is looking great, where people, anybody ever said, they are so cute. How do you do it? After all these years, it looks like you're still in love. Well, they might be. You know what? And that's great. But sometimes what happens is we pivot our marriage away to keeping up appearances. That's a very church thing to do, right? Sunday morning, put on your church clothes. Let's put on our church marriage. Good morning, everybody. Oh, look at them. Here with the kids, and they're also, they get back in the car, get in your seat, bam. Oh, he's racked the shotgun. Dad's going to shoot us. I'll do it. I'll do it. No, man, not today. But why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because we don't really want our marriage to be better, but we know people want, expect it to be good. It is not useful. It has no use. No use at all. Emulating a happy marriage, looking like the world wants to see a marriage is stupid. It's folly. Knock it off. Like alcohol, too much of something can negatively impact a marriage. If you are chasing after some sort of a behavior, whether we want, we want to do more trips, we want to do more sh shopping, we want to go out to eat more, we want a better sex life, we want more kids, we want fewer kids, we want to adopt, and it becomes this exercise in, in putting on a, a, a show to the world. Look at this guy. I can't believe they're like, they're like super married. I mean, they do everything. I mean, we barely, I can't, I come home, I fall asleep. I didn't even say good night. But, but he comes home, he kisses her, he goes to bed, he kisses. They always hug her. It's just, oh. Knock that stuff off if you think that's what's going to make your marriage great. Now, if you feel drawn to do it because, hey, my, this is my wife's love language and we've talked about this, I'm not talking about that. That is not worldly appearance. That is speaking one another's love language or whatever tripe you want to use. But the answer is, if this helps your, your wife to feel more loved, then you do that. If it helps your husband to feel more respected, then you can do that. You submit to that. Yeah, he's kind of an idiot, but I don't really want him to feel that way because it's going to compromise his ability to lead me. And I need him to be a solid, strong husband in this house. So I'm going to do what I am going to have to do. I'm going to be nice and I'm going to be careful. But it's not because I care what other people are thinking or are seeing in our marriage. That is of no use. There must be moderation in our worldly intake. Just like having a drink isn't a problem, but getting drunk is. Taking a vacation is not a problem, but getting consumed by it and endlessly tweeting and sharing it and being very clear that what you want is the world to see that you are in a functional marriage and we do fun things. That is getting drunk on worldly appearance. So what about us? All things in moderation, except praying. I know someone out there is like, I'm making a note. Ha, got him. Do all, uh, everything in moderation. What about pray without ceasing? Zing. No, it's true. Pray all the time. That's fine. Everything else, moderate it. And, and you're probably going to say, well, that's kind of silly. If I walked in here today and stood here and read, started reading in Genesis and just didn't stop, it would not be very effective. Now, the word never comes back void. There's a million reasons to do something like that. But we moderate what we do. There's a time and a place for things, and we want it to be thoughtful. We're called to use it. We're called, we got brains that were given to us by God. Let's use them. Wives, be in prayer over the attitude you bring to respect and submission. This is a, we're getting to the end here, and I'm assigning something like attitude. That might sound a little bit like feelings, but it's not. If you're saying, I'm doing the, I'm respecting him, and I submit to him. <laughs> well, should be a little more joy. Like, I, I'm not, maybe I haven't figured that out yet. No worries. Pray, be in prayer over that attitude. Husbands. Be in prayer over the attitude you bring to love and sacrifice. Should be willing 
to sacrifice for your wife, especially for her holiness, especially to help sanctify, draw her close to, to Christ. And wives and husbands talk about this together. If, it is, if I've gotten under anybody's skin, talk to one another. And I don't mean like, do you hear what he said? I hope you heard. <laughs> it's about time somebody said it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what, what does this mean? What, what are we? I don't even feel like I could submit to you at all. I don't even feel like I love you either. Well, that may be hard to hear, but it's a great place to start a conversation. What are we doing here? Why are we even married? Well, I don't know. I took a vow. I can't break a vow, can I? Okay, it's fair. Let's start there. Why does a vow even matter? If we're here to emulate what Christ did, then there's a, that's a serious business. Christ came and saved all of us. He did everything that was needed for us to be saved for all time. And when we talk about being in love, and then we talk about turning that into a marriage, and then later on we realize this is apparently pretty serious, and the Bible has something to say about this, we have a choice to make. Do I want it to be the marriage that God describes, or do I just not even care? And if I don't want it to be the marriage that God describes, why? So if you want to talk more about biblical marriage, reach out. If you want to talk more about Christ and his work, please reach out. Obviously, if you'd like to join our church, we'd love to have you. And if you're in a functional, a functional biblical marriage, invest in the next generation. This something doesn't get talked about very often, right? We have a lot of marriage seminars and all this stuff, and I'm not saying that's bad, right? But a lot of times what happens is people don't know what they're doing. They show up with their spouse, and they sit in the pews, and someone tells them about a great marriage that they had. <laughs> they're like, man, that's great. Let's do that. Uh, I'm not going to do that. You don't need to know about my marriage. It doesn't matter a hill of beans to you. But I'm telling you what the Bible says. And that if you are in a place where it's working great and you're seeing a next generation and they're struggling to figure out what a marriage is, what's the value of it in today's world, why even get married? <laughs> I mean, nowadays it's like, oh, that's old-fashioned. I don't know. It's old-fashioned in the world's eyes because the world doesn't care what the Bible says. But what we see here in the Bible is something that's going to allow two people to invest in themselves and become better Christians and do more for Christ in a, in a covenant that he has created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I'm thankful for passages that are perhaps, perhaps tough to hear, but also encouraging, Lord. And I pray that if we ever come across things in the Bible, and I've done a number of times, that maybe we, we have a pause, we, we're not sure how to say that without sounding offensive, that we take the time to understand the context fully and commit ourselves to, to understanding exactly what the Bible says. And if it's offensive, it's offensive. But we don't want to be offensive for offense's sake. We only want to offend those that are trying to defend something that God has said is not good for them. I'm thankful for these pastors, thankful for a, a church body, thankful for all those online that will ever hear this message. Lord, and I pray right now for all the marriages in this uh, congregation. Lord, I pray that... Uh, these, the, 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 your words in your holy Bible, Lord, will begin to make a difference. We can reconsider them, have some conversations, reinvest in our marriages, knowing that it's going to be best for us and glorify you more and, and be able to demonstrate to the world, world that the, the, the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit is capable of, of doing just about anything, including repairing a marriage that perhaps everybody thought was just a matter of time before it you know, falls away like everything else. I, I am so thankful for what you can do and only what you can do, Lord. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.